Hello everyone, I am Jason Wolf, and you are listening to How to Be Like Jesus, Episode 2, How Jesus Can Help You Through the Pandemic, or something like that, is the title. And so obviously today I'm talking about the, of course, the coronavirus pandemic and everything that is ensuing as a result of that, and how it is that our faith in Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Bible uh, can help us deal with what life is like now, what the world is like now as a result of this uh, pandemic and everything that, that we're going through. And so um, the the first thing we want to talk about is is the, the kind of world that, that we're living in, um, the very nature of the world here of, of God's creation, because you have a lot of people that Obviously, they're upset with God in general for what what's happening. That what you know, how could God let this happen? How could God create a world or something like this can happen and, and that kind of thing? And a lot of people, when they criticize God, you know, they they have this false assumption as if God created a world that, from its original state of how it was created, uh, has all these problems with it such as viruses with the potential to spread all over the world and cause a pandemic like what we're dealing with now. Of course, that is not the world that God originally created. God originally created a world that is perfect, that was not cursed, did not have sin, did not have these kinds of problems that we're dealing with now as a result of that. And that happened as a result of people, of Adam and Eve, sinning, rebelling against God, and... There are consequences to that that we are dealing with now, even thousands of years later. And so we just need to understand, have the correct theological paradigm for thinking about this and understanding this, that this is not the kind of world God created. God did not create a world from the get-go that that was created in such a way that harmful viruses that can kill hundreds of thousands of millions of people um, could spread and cause a pandemic and wreak the kind of havoc that of what's happening now on this kind of scale. That is not the kind of world God created. That is the kind of world that got brought about through human actions and sin and rebelling against God. And that is a part of the punishment that has happened because of people's choices and their behavior. But that is not the kind of world that God originally created. He created a world that is good and perfect and doesn't have these kinds of things as a part of it. And I think another thing that should be pointed out that people should understand about the very nature of viruses is that viruses are not all harmful. In fact, apparently, uh, 95% of the viruses that exist in the world today are actually beneficial to creatures and to ecosystems. And so the vast, vast majority of the viruses that exist today are are not harmful. If anything, they're they're beneficial. So it's... So, if you have this um, idea of just oh, just the fact that viruses exist at all is is this horrible thing, and and vi- viruses just shouldn't exist or something, um, that that is not the correct way to understand viruses. If you have this idea that viruses are all bad, you know they're like bacteria. You know most bacteria is actually beneficial to us, and the same is the case actually for viruses. They're mostly beneficial. Only a very small percentage of them is actually harmful, and obviously a very very small percentage even of even of the harmful ones are so harmful and can spread so easily on a kind of scale to cause a pandemic. Okay, and so um, and 
that that I got that information about the the viruses from um, the book by John Lennox, Christian uh, apologist, and he's a mathematician at Oxford. John Lennox, uh, his book, uh, I think it was called "God in a Coronavirus World." So if you want to get more of a Christian perspective on this, uh, I would highly recommend checking out that book as well. And I think another thing that Christians need to understand and need to keep in mind is not only was the world as, as it is now cursed and sinful and having all these problems, not only was it not originally created that way, but it's not going to stay that way forever. At some point, not only will human beings be redeemed from sin and from the curse, but the whole world is going to be redeemed and restored. And I realize that you know most Christians, hopefully at least, uh, realize that this is true and understand somewhere in their minds that this is something that's going to happen, but it's something that we need to keep more towards the front of our minds when something really bad is is going on and the condition the horrible conditions of the world are made front front and center for us in our lives. We need to also keep front and center the fact that we can trust God and what and what He has promised to do and that the world will be redeemed. It's not going to be like this uh, forever. And so uh, let's look at some places talking about this. If we look in um, Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to start reading from verse 18, Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Paul is it's not as if the Bible doesn't acknowledge, not as if God doesn't acknowledge that we're suffering here in our life and in this world now. Of course, that's that's what's happening because it's a fallen world and we're all sinners and we're all suffering from the curse. But as Paul explains, the way he sees it, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. So we're all suffering now. That is going to not even be remembered when we're resurrected, living in the new heavens and the new earth. The, the glory that we're going to have later is, is going to be so mind-boggling for how we can think about things now that the suffering that we're experiencing now can't even be compared to the glory that we'll experience later. And he goes on to say, For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God, and you'll see by the end of this passage here what that manifestation of the sons of God is referring to. And it says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So when he's talking about the creature, he's talking about you know, creatures, uh, creatures other than humans, who are obviously, we're going to be resurrected, we're going to be liberated from sin, but he's saying other creatures are going to also experience that uh, as, as he of being delivered from the bondage of corruption that we're all in now. And in verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So we, again, it's not, the sin is not just something that affects humanity. The whole of creation is groaning and is travailing in pain together. So Paul is explaining, you know, this is the condition we're in. The whole of creation is, is groaning and travailing and it's in pain because of the effects of the curse. All, all of creation is affected by this. That's why something like a coronavirus pandemic can even happen. And in verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, so those of us who have the Holy Spirit right now, even we ourselves grow within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So basically what Paul is explaining here when talking about when talking <clears throat> talking about um how the creation is 
waiting and, and, and the creatures are waiting for them what, what he says in verse 19 of the manifestation of the sons of god and then he explains that it, that creation is waiting for the redemption of our body it's talking about being resurrected when we are resurrected when our bodies are redeemed because right now we're spirit if you if you're saved you have faith and you're saved and you're spiritually redeemed we're waiting for our bodies to be redeemed that will happen when we're resurrected and at that point all of creation which is now the whole thing all of creation is growing and travailing in pain together creation is going to be redeemed the curse is going to be lifted when our bodies are redeemed at the resurrection okay so so it's again we need to think because you know we might think of the resurrection just in terms of oh that's when we are resurrected that's when our bodies get redeemed that's when we get uh rewards and that's when and that's when you know all these things happen but it doesn't only just affect us and just humanity. It affects all of creation. All of creation is suffering right now from sin, from the curse. The coronavirus, the pandemic, is a result of that. Eventually, everything is going to be healed. That's something we need to keep in mind when we're considering these things. And, of course, Jesus agrees with Paul in his assessment of the whole earth eventually being redeemed when Jesus says in Matthew 5.5, 5, um, Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Okay, and so when uh, the when we inherit the earth, we're not going to inherit. And, and let me just say for those of you thinking this right now, yes, I'm aware that technically this word is not referring to the globe as in the whole planet, the way we you know we refer to all planet Earth, and we think usually when we use the word Earth, we, th we think of it in terms of just referring to the whole planet. That is not how this word that's not what this word the word itself really um means when you go back and look at it in the in the greek this is the same thing for looking at it in the hebrew it just basically means land or like dirt or whatever but i think it can be understood to be referring to the planet earth to be referring to everything not literally just some plot of dirt or something but anyway i just wanted to point out that yes i'm aware of this so for the, the theology geeks are sitting there going oh what that doesn't mean the planet earth yes i i know it, the word itself technically is referring to dirt okay but i think we can understand the intention of what he's talking about here as inheriting the earth as in just everything okay so anyway um when we inherit the earth we are not inheriting a place that is cursed and full of sin, full of death, full of bad, uh, you know, harmful bacteria and viruses and, and these kinds of things. We will be inheriting a place that has been redeemed, as Paul talks about in Romans 8. I'm just pointing out Jesus is, you know, giving us the same kind of theology. He's teaching the same kind of doctrine. And if, uh, elsewhere, if you want to read more uh, about what the Bible has to say about redeeming creation, of course, the end of the whole Bible, the last two chapters of the Bible, uh, Revelation 21 and 22, go into detail on this. And then they're pulling a lot of imagery and stuff from Isaiah 65, because that's a chapter in the Old Testament that talks about God creating a new heavens in a new earth. So, And there's other uh, places in Isaiah that also kind of talk about this kind of thing. Isaiah 65 is where it literally talks about the new heavens and the new earth. It uses that phrase. That we find in Revelation. So those will be other places to check out, you know, do for, for further reading, a little homework assignment to uh, read those chapters to get more information on this topic. Um, so yeah, I just think this is something we need to keep in mind when thinking about this, when dealing with this kind of kind of issue. We need to understand the what is the kind of world that we're in and the situation that we're in, 
and how this originally started and how it's going to end and keep everything in perspective in that sense. Now, another thing I want to deal with is the fact that uh, – and this kind of thing happens whenever there's some kind of tragedy, some kind of horrible event that takes place, uh, whether it's like a war, a terrorist attack, a, a – um, you know, so, someone going up and shooting up a public place, and, or if, if there's a serial killer on the loose killing people, I'm not really sure the last time that's really happened and has been big news, but, you know, obviously that's happened a lot throughout the 20th century in America anyway. But whenever these kinds of things happen, there's always people that go, oh, well, God, this is God's judgment. God is causing this to happen to because people are sinning and doing this and that, and so... Uh, God is God is bringing this about in order to judge people, whatever. And so, uh, th if 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 you have this assumption of well, God is doing this to punish people, so we need to we need to uh, pass this legislation because that that'll make America a moral society and a good Christian nation again, and then God will stop this pandemic or or He'll make it so that the pandemic isn't. Um, you know, affecting America as badly or, or whatever. If you think these kinds of things, this is – I do not think this is a theologically correct way to think about these things, okay? And so uh, let's give an example of what Jesus himself has to say about this. So if we look at uh, Luke 13, starting in verse 1 of Luke 13, it says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Okay, so – to get the understanding of what it's talking about, it's just talking about Pilate, uh, as it says, mingling the blood of some Galileans with their sacrifices. So, so these people are being killed by the Romans, and be and their blood is being used as a part of sacrifices. Okay, and so these people here are bringing this up to Jesus and questioning him about this. And Jesus answering said to them, "Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all." The Galileans, because they suffered such things. So notice the assumption that these people have that he's addressing. He, the people assume, oh man, this horrible thing happened to these Galileans. It must be because God is punishing them because they were sinners. They were worse sinners, you know, of, of all the other Galileans. These people were the worst sinners. Therefore, God is punishing them for their sin. Just like people think, oh man, 9/11 happened because. Oh, America is doing such and such sins, and that's God punishing America. Or the the pandemic is happening because of people doing such and such sins. God is punishing people through this through this coronavirus pandemic or whatever. People have this assumption that people are being punished uh, because of their sins, and this is some kind of like divine punishment from God. This is the exact thing that Jesus is addressing here, because that's their assumption um, when it comes to what happened to these Galileans. But then in verse three it says. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So the first thing to point out is how is Jesus responded to this? What is his answer? He is addressing the subject. Oh, you think that this horrible thing happened to these Galileans because they were worse sinners from all the other Galileans? I tell you, nay. Okay, so what's he saying? I'm saying no, like just flat out no, you're wrong. That is not why that happened to them. And then he points out, well, unless you repent, something similar to that – will also happen to you, or he's saying you will also perish unless you repent. And so he's pointing out, no, these people didn't suffer any particular judgment from God, but yet they died, and that same thing, I mean, that's going to happen to everyone. And so the important thing is to realize your mortality and repent before you die. I think that is what he uh, is getting at in his response to them. And then 
if we look then at verse 4, this, this same kind of thing keeps going. He gives another example. And, and this is Jesus continuing to talk here. He says, he, so they provided that example. Jesus goes out of his way to provide yet another example just to point out to them the faulty logic here that they're using. He says, or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And so he gives you another example of there's this tower in this place in Siloam, and it fell on these people, 18 people, and killed them. And he's like, oh, you think that that tower fell on those 18 people as God's judgment, and God killed them because they were worse sinners than everyone in Jerusalem? No, that is not what happened. And he tells them they need to repent because otherwise they will likewise perish. And so that that is that is the teaching here. And so clearly this idea of, oh, bad, bad things happen to people out of God's judgment or whatever, no, that is not. Jesus is contradicting that teaching. Now, I'm not saying that you can't find examples in the Bible where that clearly happens, but we're saying we're getting – here a general rule, which is you do not just assume that uh, bad things happen to people, people die, or whatever kind of bad things happen to someone in their life. That oh, that's that is because God is judging them and punishing them. Uh, of course, there are there's always exceptions to the rule, but Jesus here is giving us the rule for how to look at these situations, and it is not to just assume all that happened to them because they're sinners. They're sinners above everyone else. So God judge them. No, that is the wrong attitude. And plus, just think about this. It's a pandemic. It's not an epidemic. It's a pandemic, okay? Epi an epidemic is something that is localized to a certain region, whether it be a nation or whatever. It's, it's in a more localized area. A pandemic is everywhere. This virus is, is, and, and is going across the whole world. So what in the, I mean, it's not as if God is judging some localized area because, oh, these people are really bad sinners and I just have to use this to judge these particular people. It's literally over the whole world. It doesn't make any sense to claim God is judging particular people for their particularly grievous sins by sending a virus to spread across the entire world. That just logically doesn't make any sense. And let alone the fact that as Jesus here clearly explains, that is the wrong way to think about these kinds of things. And and if we're going to follow Christ and and uh, believe what He taught and try to pattern our thoughts and beliefs in our life after what He taught, then we need to not have this false idea. We need to understand that He said that we do not make this assumption when bad stuff is happening to people, where people are dying. We do not make the assumption that God is judging them and punishing them for their sin, and so we should not make that assumption here. So I want to dispel another myth about this pandemic that is very common amongst Christians, and it doesn't seem, it, seem it, it just seems like it's not going away, it doesn't matter how stupid and illogical and unbiblical it is, and how many times myself and other people point this out of how this doesn't make any sense, people just continue and persist in believing that the, that the vaccines to COVID-19 are somehow the mark of the beast. Now, I'm not telling you one way or the other what to think or what to do in regards to the vaccine. That's up to you. And I'm just talking about are they the mark of the beast or not? And there's absolutely no good reason to believe that these vaccines are literally the mark of the beast written about by John in the book of Revelation. That's absolutely insane and stupid. And I'm going to prove to you beyond any reasonable – okay, keyword is reasonable – beyond any 
reasonable doubt that that cannot be uh, the mark of the beast. And so let's go right to that passage, Revelation 13, and read it in context and see what it says. Oh, and I want to just point out uh, before before we look at the passage directly that you know people have differing views on how how they understand eschatology, meaning the study of last things, the, the end times, end time prophecies, whatever you want to call it. People have different theological paradigms of how they understand these things, of whether or not the book of Revelation is talking about things that happened in the past, whether or not it's describing things that happened in the future yet, whether it's talking about things that sort of got partially fulfilled in the past, but then are still going to be, be fulfilled even more explicitly and literally in the future, or whether the whole thing is a bunch of symbolism that's not really going to have a literal fulfillment at any point in history, and I'm not dealing with <laughs> with that topic of trying to give people, oh, this is the correct paradigm to use to read it, and this is how it makes the most sense, and this is how, oh, here's all the historical evidence of how it got fulfilled in history, or didn't really get fulfilled in history, or whatever. I'm not getting into all that right here. That's way beyond uh, the scope of what I'm telling you on this episode. We're just, the people who think that uh, the Mark of the Beast is being fulfilled right now, they would be called futurists because they believe that the book of Revelation, that, that, that the prophecies of Revelation are fulfilled in our future. I mean, I guess, you know, if they if they say it's happening right now, I mean, that, <laughs> that's not the future, that's right now, but, you know, they would still be considered futurists because they, they have, and they have it have it as not being already fulfilled in the past, okay? And so that that is the paradigm that they're working with. That's the framework that they have when they're reading the book of Revelation. And I'm not going to argue against it. I'm just going to assume that it's true, that these are uh, prophecies that are going to be fulfilled in our future. And I'm going to take a pretty literal reading of them, because people holding this view take a fairly literal reading of of what this is describing and, and how it will get fulfilled in history. And so we're just going to assume their, you know, their theological view and then just read the text that way and see, okay, is this even something that could possibly get fulfilled right now? Is this possibly happening right now? And I think when we do that, everyone will have to acknowledge that, no, this is not happening right now. This is a completely ridiculous position to come to. And so... The famous passage of the Mark of the Beast is in Revelation 13. I'm going to start reading uh, in verse 11, because I want to give some kind of context, but I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Um, and it says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Okay, so of course, this is John, the Apostle John. He's in heaven. He's being given these visions. And he's already talked about one beast and all this stuff that that first beast is doing. And now if we move past that. He's talking about a second beast is coming up out of the earth. He describes that beast. Okay, so we got we got two beasts going on here. Okay, whatever it is you think that means, we're not going to get into that. But that that's what verse eleven says. Verse twelve, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven in or on the earth. In the sight of men. Okay, so what's happened so far? Um, the second beast has come up. He's exercising the power of the first beast, whatever that entails. We, we didn't read that. We're not going over that. And he causes, it says he causes causes the, the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So this first beast, he had a deadly wound. That deadly wound was healed. As a result of that, the second beast is making it so that everyone on the earth... However you interpret the word earth there, this is referring to people in a specific plot of land or the whole world or whatever, 
whatever it is, the second beast is making everyone there worship the first beast because he took a deadly wound and then that wound was healed, okay? So basically this guy should be dead, but he's still alive. And then it says that he does great wonders and he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of people. So people are seeing this second beast call down fire from heaven, okay? So that's what's happening, okay? And verse 14, and he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Okay, so this we see that the first beast specifically was wounded by a sword, that should, and this wound from a sword should have killed him, but instead he's still alive, and that because of this, the second beast is doing these miracles, and, and, and as a result of these miracles, people are worshipping this first beast, who should have been killed by a sword, but is yeah, still alive. We're in verse 15 now. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. So these people have made an image of the beast, okay? And the second beast has a power, it says, to give life to the image of the beast. Okay, so this image of this beast apparently has life, which makes it capable of speaking. So we have a living, talking image of this first beast, whatever that means. And as a result of this, everyone is worshiping the, this image of this beast. And it says that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So everyone not. So we have this living, talking image of a beast. Everybody's worshiping it except for you know whatever smaller group of people. And and those who are not worshiping the image of the beast are being killed. It says. And then we have the important verse here, verse 16, where we actually get to the mark of the beast, and it says, And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark of the name of the beast or of the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. Of course, it's six six six. So I just wanted to read all that so everyone could see the context of the chapter wherein the mark of the beast comes up in the book of Revelation. Obviously, there's a lot more happening than what I just read, and but everyone could just see even just that immediate context of all the stuff that is happening. You had a first beast. You have then a second beast that comes up. The first beast took a deadly wound from a sword, but was healed from that wound. And so people are worshiping him because he had a deadly wound that was healed. And they make an image of him. And this image is living and talking. And the second beast is calling down fire from heaven in the sight of people. And you know they're worshiping the image of this beast. And those who aren't are being killed. And that those that are worshiping the, the image of the beast... They're, they are taking the mark of the beast in their hands or in their foreheads, and those who don't can't buy or sell because you need the mark of the beast to be able to buy or sell. That's the context. Folks, has anything even remotely, even conceivably similar to that or happened since 2020, since this pandemic has been happening? Is there anything at all that could conceivably be those events, whether obviously they have, literally speaking, they haven't happened, e even in a symbolic manner, is there is there anything you could point to in recent history of the since, since 2020 when this pandemic started that has happened that you could say, oh, that that is here is these events taking place that would have to take place before the mark of the beast could even happen because that's the immediate context of the mark of the mark of the beast and, and why. 
why it's happening and where it falls within this prophetic timeline in the book of Revelation. Of course, nothing like that has happened. So to claim that the mark of the beast is happening right now when nothing in the context of that chapter has happened, nothing that is that has to happen before the mark of the beast to take place has actually happened, then how in the world could the vaccine be the mark of the beast? That doesn't make any sense. All you have to do is read the chapter where that is in the book of Revelation. Look at what it's talking about. See how none of that has happened. So how could the vaccine even possibly be the mark of the beast? It can't. That doesn't make any sense. And I don't want to go on too long about this because I think I made my point and I don't see any rational way anyone could possibly argue that the mark of the beast is happening right now through the vaccines, uh, given what we just went over in Revelation 13. But if you look at other passages like 2 Thessalonians 2, where it's talking about the tribulation, or it's talking about basically stuff that has to, again, assuming a futurist view of prophecy, stuff that would have to happen before the tribulation. And remember, the mark of the beast is happening somewhere in the middle of the tribulation period. Again, if this is... We're just, we're just assuming this stuff for the sake of argument, okay? Paul says... This, in Second Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 1, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Okay, so he's talking about the day of Christ, the day when Jesus comes back and Christians are gathered together to him. Okay, that's what he was just describing. He, that's the subject that he's addressing. And he is telling them that he doesn't want them he's talking to the the Thessalonian Christians of course saying he doesn't want them to be troubled as the thinking that that day is at hand okay because he's going to explain there has to be things that happen first before that day the the second coming of Christ and and the gathering together of believers there has to be events that take place before that day happens he's going to go on here to explain what those events are he says let no man deceive you by any means for that day, okay, the, the, day, the day of Christ, the day Christ comes back, that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Okay, and then he goes on from there to talk about stuff. Now, notice he points out that what, what has to happen first before the day of Christ can happen? That he's saying that there has to be a great falling away, so there's great apostasy that a lot of Christians talk about. That has to happen, that a bunch of Christians depart from the faith. Then the man of sin, the son of perdition, this is often referred to as the Antichrist. Most Christians just call this person the Antichrist. The Bible never really refers to any particular individual as the Antichrist. In 1 John, he talks about there being many antichrists and stuff like that. But mo for most, uh, the per this is a person most Christians just call the antichrist. Here, Paul calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition. And he talks about this person reveals himself by going into the temple. Okay, is there a temple right now in Jerusalem? No. But the, the antichrist goes into the temple and basically claims to be God by going into the temple in Jerusalem to be to be worshipped as if he is God, you know, and declares himself to be God. Has anything like that happened in recent years? No, of course not, because the, there is not even a temple in Jerusalem right now. You could argue that all oh, people are apostatizing from Christianity and stuff like that. 
at least in like the West and stuff, even though Christianity is growing worldwide and growing a lot in places like China and Africa and other places. But but so maybe you could argue at least in certain places there's been a falling away. But there has not been a temple, and the anti Antichrist has not gone in the temple and and claimed declared himself to be God and be worshipped by people. And Paul is claiming that stuff has to happen first before the day of Christ is at hand. And so again, you have to look for a particular events happening before something like the mark of the beast can happen and these events have not happened in order for the mark of the beast to come about there has to be a temple in jerusalem and the antichrist revealing himself in that temple well obviously that couldn't have happened yet because there is no temple in jerusalem therefore the mark of the beast cannot be happening right now so the vaccine cannot be the mark of the beast and let's look to the words of jesus himself and see what kind of things he has to say that might pertain uh, to this topic, uh, looking at Matthew 24 and looking at and starting in verse six here, this is Jesus speaking. He says, "And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places." All these are the beginning of sorrows, and then he goes on to describe many other things. Okay, and so even if what Jesus is saying is talking about the, the future from from our period of time, um, again, these kinds of things have not been happening in order for the mark of the beast to line up with where we are right now. We, we are not. I mean, look at this. You have nations rising against nations. There's wars and rumors of wars. Yeah, America is in wars. America has gotten out of the war in Afghanistan, for example. Um, what do you if you see this as describing worldwide events of nations rising against nations and kingdom against kingdom that's not really just describing you know nations all over nations all over the world going to war with each other if that's what you think that's describing well that's not really happening right now is it and talking about there being famines and pestilences and earthquakes and again this kind of thing if you think this is describing stuff happening on a global scale that's not happening uh, again, there's not even if you think that the COVID-19 is an example of like a pestilence or something that's going all over the earth, it, these other things he's describing are not happening. And even if that's the case, he says that the end is not yet, and he says that all these things are the beginning of sorrows. And once again, this is not lined up with when the mark of the beast. This this is stuff that would take place if if you look at where this stuff lines up with. The events in the book of Revelation, for example, like if you compare Matthew 24 to Revelation chapter 6, those are the kind of events – you can actually see the events Jesus is describing in Matthew 24 actually lining up with the seals being broken in Revelation chapter 6. We're not going to look at that in detail right now, of course. I encourage you to look at that later if you're not familiar with this. But that's – again, that's corresponding to stuff happening in Revelation chapter 6. The mark of the beast happens in Revelation chapter 13. And so again, we're not talking about – um, we're not talking of – we're not in the timeline right now. Even if these things were happening, which I don't think there's any evidence that this kind of stuff being described is actually happening, that's still not matching up with the events of the Mark of the Beast because that would take place after these things. And so again, if you just look at where the Mark of the Beast is talking about in the book of Revelation in context, that kind of – this cannot be happening now because the things preceding that haven't happened. The same thing is the case if you look at 
prophecy as it's described by the Apostle Paul, as we just looked at in 2 Thessalonians 2. The same thing as the case looking at Jesus' description of prophecy, for example, in Matthew 24. There is just no good reason, biblically, looking at what the Bible says about prophecy and assuming that these prophecies are still to be fulfilled sometime in our future from where we are right now. There is no good reason to think that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. So if you are refusing to take the vaccine because you're convinced it's the mark of the beast and you think you know, all these punishments will be inflicted on you and you can't be saved and all these kinds of things for taking the vaccine. That's insane. There's no good political reason to think that. I'm not telling you one way or the other what to do. I'm just telling you that that objection to say, oh, well, I can't do that because that's the mark of the beast is absolutely insane and there's no good biblical reason to think that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. But this is such a widespread thing that I see from Christians all the time that it, I, it has to be addressed and, and it's an insane false doctrine that has to be refuted thoroughly from the Bible because it's so stupid and yet so many Christians believe in this. I've seen so many Christians talking about this, promoting this idea on social media. It just really, I think, has to be utterly destroyed as I think I have accomplished here in this episode. So to close out this episode, I just want to talk about how um, the biblical message when it comes to suffering in this world as Christians, it is not that God is going to come and just swoop in and miraculously rescue us from every kind of situation where we're being persecuted or where we're suffering, such as from the lockdown and the pandemic and, and these kinds of things. The, the biblical message is not, don't worry, you'll never have to encounter any hardship, you'll never have to deal with loss and mourning and suffering and pain and sickness. You'll just never you'll never have to deal with these things because because, you know, God is on your side, so you'll just have an amazing life with no hardship or something like that. Many Christians have this false perspective. That is not the view. The, the, the portrayal of God that we get in the Bible is that he comes and suffers with us. That is one of the things accomplished in the incarnation is that God is not someone that's just off in the cloud somewhere watching, indifferent to the sufferings of people, or unable to relate to our sufferings and what it's like here in this sinful world that we're living in, he came as a human, as one of us, and suffered along with us. He suffered and died for our sins on our behalf, and the message is that later, every everyone and everything is going to be redeemed when Christ comes back, and that true justice will be dealt out. Okay, that that is the biblical message. Not that everything's going to be perfect now, that, that justice is going to be perfect here in this world right now, and that there won't be any suffering in this world right now or anything like that, but that justice will happen later and redemption and all that will happen later. But that right now we are comforted by the fact that our God is not some some God of like deism or something, for example, where he's just, again, just cannot relate to us indifferent. And, and he created everything, but he just watches it from outside, like like he's watching some kind of like zoo exhibit or something. It's that he he came and he suffered along with us, and we are to be comforted at least in part by the fact that our God suffered along along with us. He understands when we're in moments of pain and so on. He understands what we're going through. So, for example, um, Hebrews. 415 talking about Jesus explains it this way it says for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin okay so Jesus is the high priest is talking about saying hey Jesus is not someone that you know can't relate to our 
our infirmities, our the sickness and the sufferings that we go through. It's not that we have a high priest that can't relate to us in these things, because you know he came here and took these things on himself, and so he was tempted like as we are, but he is without sin, and that's the point. Where we get tempted and we sin and we suffer. He came, he can relate to our sufferings, he was tempted like as we are, yet without sin, and that's why he was the perfect, uh, you know, blameless sacrifice that could take our sins upon himself and and die for our sins so he could offer us salvation. And so there's one verse uh, in Hebrews 4.15 that explains this, and we have to understand that as Christians, we overcome the sin and the suffering and all of the horrible things that happen in this world. We overcome that through our faith. We have hope of redemption and so on because of our faith in Jesus. And it is those who are without our Christian faith, whether they be atheists, be of a different religion or whatever, they're the ones who have no hope because they either just don't – they either just actually don't have hope at all like an atheist or they have uh, hope in something that's not going to happen because they believe in a false religion. So we're the only ones who have actual hope and – hope of redemption and hope of overcoming the world and we we overcome this sinful world again the christian view is not oh this is a wonder this world is like this wonderful place right now it's that it's a fallen world and we have a hope of overcoming this world it's through our faith and that christ has already overcome the world and we will overcome the world through our faith so jesus explains this in john 16 verse 33 jesus says these things i have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So Jesus has already overcome the world. So we aren't to be depressed. We're not supposed to be upset. We're not supposed to be angry at the world and these kinds of things. Right now, Jesus wants us to have peace and be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. And we know that we are going to inherit the world later on. And it's not the world the way it is now. It's the world with without it being cursed, without it being fallen and sinful. And so right now, with all this stuff that we're facing, that right now, he said, again, a lot of people, including a lot of Christians, have this false view that God somehow promises that we won't be persecuted, won't go through tribulation, won't have to suffer in this world. That's not the case. Jesus himself says right here, in the world, ye shall have tribulation. Okay, so we're going to have tribulation. We're going to suffer. Bad things are going to happen, like, you know, a pandemic and being locked down, maybe losing your job from that kind of thing, maybe being sick and, and losing people that are close to you, these kinds of things. This tribulation, this is suffering uh, that's happening in this world. But Jesus explains when this stuff happens to you, be of good cheer. Why? Because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. We, Through our faith, we will overcome these things. And that we, it's not that we don't suffer, it's that we do suffer, but we suffer and be and have peace and be of good cheer, as Jesus explained, because he's already overcome the world. We know that through our faith, we also will overcome the world. And in 1 John 5, this concept is explained even further. It says in verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. For is he that overcometh for who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, so he's explaining, again, as, as, I'm expl as I was saying, based in John 16, in 1 John chapter 5, he's explaining that whosoever is born, again, born, whosoever is born again overcometh the world. So how are we born again? Well, of course, it's through our faith in Jesus Christ. We become born again. By doing that, we overcome the world. And we have victory and overcome the world through our faith. And, and, and he says, 
Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. Of course, by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that's who, how you overcome the world. And who could possibly overcome the world except those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And also implied in that is that if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you don't overcome the world. And you're, you're stuck with the consequences of, the, of what happens by just embracing the sinful world. And so that's the message I want to close with. That's what we need to keep in mind as we suffer in this world by whatever it is that the world throws at us. We all have to deal with different trials and tribulations in this world, in this life. But we need to understand that we don't get a better outcome. We don't try to overcome the world or anything by saying, oh, well, God must hate me or God isn't helping me or whatever and deciding to reject our faith. That's not going to accomplish anything. The only way you overcome the world, the only way you inherit the world, the the world without sin, and the only way that there is redemption and justice and righteousness is through God and through Jesus Christ coming back and establishing that. And we are a part of that through our faith, and it doesn't accomplish anything to try to re reject God and think that's going to get you anything. That's just embracing this sinful, fallen world full of injustice, through un full of unrighteousness, through full of horrible viruses and horrible things that bring on suffering. All you're doing is embracing the world instead of overcoming the world through your faith. So if you hate the world so much, don't impose that onto God as if God wants the world to be that way, as if he intended the world to be this way. That is not the case. You are By doing that, you would be rejecting the only thing that is that can save the world, which is God, and embracing a world that you supposedly hate so much because you hate all the suffering in it. That doesn't make any sense. The only way to overcome the world is through your faith. And so whatever the world throws at you, it's, it's important to maintain your faith and not... not uh, apostatize not fall away and so i'm not not saying your eternal destiny is involved in, in that but god will again if you want less suffering in this world you don't want to believe in jesus and then turn away from the faith because that'll make just make god punish you more in this world for rejecting him it would be the consequence of that and we'll go into more detail on on that later uh but that's all i have to say about COVID 19 i wanted to explain these things, especially refute this stupid false idea of the vaccine being the mark of the beast. And so thank you for everyone for listening. And in the next episode, we will be talking about how to read the Bible like Jesus. So if you want to know how Jesus himself reads the Bible and interprets the Bible and learn lessons from that when it comes to your own Bible reading and understanding the Bible the way Jesus interprets it, then make sure to check back into the, the next episode, episode three. And so God bless everyone and thank you for listening.